Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. If you're loving this podcast, we invite you to go deeper and partner with us in our work by joining the Gravity Commons, our online community of practice for connecting and learning together. As a member of the Gravity Commons, you get access to live podcast recordings with upcoming guests, as well as other opportunities to connect and learn together with us in real time. Including learning labs, member meetups, discussion boards, online courses, and our practitioner podcast. Go to gravityleadership.com slash commons to find out more. See you in the commons. Theme music. Applause. We sh- I feel like we should have some theme music here. I know we have it later. What do you mean? Like just some sort of like, inch, like I'm, I'm just picturing like, you know, a live studio audience and some yeah. music and then you come out in like well, a really nice suit. Yeah. You know? Well, it's kind of, you know. Like we don't hear the music, you know. This, you know. Have you ever listened to our podcast? No, I don't even know. You know is this music? <laughs> is this a podcast? You know, we actually have I thought music. we were just hanging we, out. We actually have music uh, on the podcast. We put oh. it in post production, so we don't we don't hear it now. But so you have to sort of imagine yourself, Matt. That it's it's pretty much like that. Everybody who's listening to this right now mm-hmm. has <clears throat> listened to the music, the theme music. They got a little inspired mm-hmm. in their hearts, and then they. It, it is sort of like we're coming out. Like it's it's an audio medium so they're not seeing us matt okay um, so well, they can't see that i'm wearing a really snappy suit at uh you know 9 a.m in the morning you look really good on a friday yeah they can't see that but um i think they feel it i think they do feel hmm. it so all your dreams are coming true essentially oh, yeah. is what i'm saying matt all it's right like everything that you just imagine where you're like okay. man i feel like we should have some theme music is like well that we do we do actually have all those things so i'll trust you on this yeah this i have no way to verify any of those things 
Listeners, you could just subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> just listen to it occasionally. All right, maybe, All maybe right. that feels that feels a bit dangerous. Hey, welcome mm-hmm. back to the Gravity Podcast. Apparently, we're doing a podcast. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. And today we've got Rob Dixon, who uh, we did a Gravity Commons live with. Um, he wrote a book called Together in Ministry: um, Men and Women in Flourishing Partnerships, or is it is it Women and, women and men in flourishing partnerships. Yeah, all right. But you know, the order's he, the order's important. I think. Yeah, he put the women first. So, um, and I I really enjoyed talking to Rob. Yeah, I did too. He he's um, he really knows what he's talking about. Yeah, he's I cool. mean, of course he does. But like you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why that. I don't know. He was just uh, man. He just had so much um, information, some mm-hmm. good stuff to say. I mean, it's like a it's a bit of an academic book because it's like it's based on research, which um, so it's it's less of like a theological like here's what we should be doing, everybody, and and a little bit. I mean, it, it is that a little bit, yeah. But it's also backed up by research about like why is this hard mm-hmm. and what have people's experiences been, um, and that that I find really uh, helpful because you know our our own experience of trying to um, be men. Who are empowering women and trying to cultivate an environment where yeah. men and women can f- flourish together? Yeah, like we we've run into so many like glass doors that we didn't know were there. Yeah, you know our best our best intentions don't get us very far. Nope. And so we need books like Rob's to help us figure out what we just tripped over. Yep. You know, and, and you know help us <laughs> open up the glass doors so we don't yeah. bump our noses on them anymore. Yes. Yeah, so we could we could do a whole podcast series on stuff we've learned. Things, oh, yeah. mistakes we've made, stuff we've learned, thing, even things we're still learning. Um, oh, yeah. You know? And I think yeah. um, well, Rob has uh, done research and has experience in, like, the data and the yeah. details of just relating uh, in churches, local churches, and consulting yeah. with churches, I think, is a gift. So, it's, it's great. yeah. Do we, have anything, do we have anything we want to plug today, Ben? You know what we're doing more and more of? Uh Podcast intros? eating. I'm eating. I'm eating yeah, a lot more than I more used more? to. Yeah, that, <laughs> that um, might be a problem. But uh, as it uh, pertains to gravity, we're doing more and more workshops, and we are. Uh, I think yeah, it's there's this general yeah, there's this general like coming out from a virtual hibernation. You know, that the pandemic and <sighs> right. uh, sort of enforced yeah. on us, and and people want to like get in a room with other people and yeah, and breathe on each other again. That's true. I think there's a hunger for yeah, being in proximity uh, with mm-hmm. one another. Um, so yeah, we are doing a lot more of that. I'm I'm actually we're recording this on Friday, and um, on Sunday I'm actually driving uh, all the way up to a retreat center north of Milwaukee because uh, the flight the flights are crazy expensive. Uh, it, it I'm trying insane. to go to Denver, and I can't book a flight for a round trip flight for under eight hundred bucks. Yeah, it. What's it's, going uh, on? It's crazy out there. It's Do you crazy. think the price of gas is impacting uh, airlines too? Uh, I think it might be oil. Um, I've got some theories on all of this stuff. Uh, anyway, so uh, we don't need to get into it. But <laughs> workshops. I almost, I almost went on a tangent. You got a, you got a um, couple of uh, YouTube oof, videos for oof. us to watch, Ben. Yeah, right. Yeah. You want me to think for myself? Is the that what you're telling me? Real problem about inflation. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, yeah, we're doing a lot more workshop. I'm I'm doing. I was trying to say that I'm driving up uh, to do a retreat for a church staff. Um, yeah. Actually, as this episode drops, I will be finishing up and driving back uh, on Tuesday. Safe travels home. 
Thank you. Thank you. Future Ben. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thank you, future Matt. (laughs) So anyway, but yeah, we are, we are doing a lot more, uh, in-person workshops and I've, I've kind of felt that, um, hunger myself, uh, yeah. after like bands started touring again, <laughs> find oh, myself dude, buying, you are on a tear. Just, You're going to all well, kinds so of like good concerts. bands are coming to Indianapolis. I was just right? like, well, I have to buy tickets to that. Right? And yeah, uh, you, know, anyway. you don't even you so, don't even like Kesha, and you're at her front row of her concert. <laughs> I just want to be together with people, with the bass <laughs> bumping. That's all. I, that's all I sort of want. Yeah. Have you put a dollar sign in your name? I'm there, lady. That's yeah. I'm a that's sucker. A, that's a that's a clever little. Uh, uh, thing that you've marketing done. ploy. Yeah, I don't know if she. So anyway. I don't know if she still does that. I mean, I don't know if she did that either. We she may have up. some regrets. Yeah, we should try to get her on the podcast. Yeah, that would be a that Kesha, would be perfect for our market, right? On Wikipedia, there's no dollar sign in her name. It's just Kesha. oh, okay. So yeah. so she's formerly stylized as Kesha with a dollar sign. Let that ends. be a lesson uh-huh. to everyone. If Kesha can repent, all yeah. of us can. Just yeah, yeah. And if you if you put a dollar sign in your name <laughs> yeah. as a little uh, marketing ploy, you can yeah. you can change it back. Yeah. There's not a you know. I think it's never too late. Okay. Never too late. Never too late. Anyway, uh, if you want to book a workshop with us, I think that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to plug oh, a workshop. Oh, okay. Uh, you can uh, check out the workshops we do. So it's gravityleadership.com/slash/workshops, and we've got several workshops that we do that are kind of. Uh, ready to go, right? So uh, Church in the Wild, which is about kind of being the church in uh, post-Christ- the post-Christian West. Mm. Uh, we've got uh, an Enneagram workshop, Spiritual Transformation through mm-hmm. the Enneagram. We've got a parenting workshop. Um, and then uh, we're actually developing a new workshop. Uh, Seth Richardson is going to be, um, who runs Gravity Congregational Transformation, which is our newly launched um, uh, service for churches who want to explore the deeper dynamics of what's going on in their uh, church cultures, um, which is a great service we've done at our church. Um, But Seth is also designing a workshop for churches that want to at least begin to uh, learn what it would be like to ask these kinds of questions. Um, Yeah. So yeah, and and a lot more um, as a discipleship workshop we do. Anyway, if uh, that sounds like something you'd like, you can reach out to us. There's a form on that website. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're also we also are publishing a book this summer, and we're developing a workshop we around are, that too. We are. Yep. Yeah. The eight axioms for mm-hmm. uh, cultivating a resilient faith, robust faith. Um, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of fun stuff coming up. We're going to do a, a series that's coming up in a, a little bit about uh, the book. Um, so anyway, watch watch for that. And if you're not on our book launch team, um, reach out podcast at gravityleadership.com. Let us know you want to be on the book launch team. Yeah. We'll make sure that you get the info. Yes, when we're ready to begin that process, which mm-hmm. I, I can't remember when. I think it's maybe the end of this month. We're supposed to begin that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I need to check my uh, timelines and my emails. Yep. All right. Let's get on. Let's get in. Let's get in and get it on. Get on uh, with it. Here it get get on. It. Get on with it. Here's uh, here's Rob. Friends, enjoy yeah. this interview. This yep. was great. Welcome Rob Dixon to the podcast today. Rob is an associate regional ministry director 
with University Christian Fellowship USA and a senior fellow for gender partnership with the University Institute. He adjunct teaches at Fresno Pacific University and Filler Theological Seminary and trains people, provides training on flourishing mixed gender ministry partnerships for organizations around the country. That's what we're actually chatting with Rob about today because his he's got a new book out with University called Together in Ministry, Women and Men in Flourishing Partnerships. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Um, quickly, Rob, why a book about women and men partnered in ministry and why now for you? Yeah. Well, for me, it's been a work in progress. So probably you could say 30 years of thinking about this stuff. So my first steps into ministry as a college student were in an environment where I was working with women. I've been mentored by women, supervised by women. I've supervised women, women as peers in various capacities. And over time, I started to wonder, but well, by God's grace, most of those partnerships were rich and life-giving, wonderful. But I started to wonder over time, is there a way we could up our intentionality here and see those partnerships be even better and be more effective missionally? And so that led me into a study that resulted in the book you've got in your hands, Matt. Another way to think about this is that I think this is a really good time for a book like this because, unfortunately, the headlines, and we yeah. all know them, are, are brutal and, and full of stories of what not to do. Yeah as women and men work together. And so I'm hoping that Together in Ministry will offer, I like to use the word, a prophetic roadmap. So it's prophetic, it's calling the church to be different. And roadmap means it's got a laid out sequence, things people can do uh, to create a different narrative around women and men working together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Rob, I'm reminded, I, there's a church I worked for many years ago that recently um, had a situation where the junior high youth pastor was um, sexually abusing two women in the high school youth group, um, at least two. And um, the message that the pastor sent out to the church was framed with, you know, the heart is wicked above all else who can understand it. And because our hearts are wicked, I have this bad news to tell you about. And um, I'm, I'm kind of deviating a bit from maybe what we were going to chat about, but I just wonder from your perspective, like what's insufficient or missing about, about chalking that up to just, you know, we're all sinful and without Jesus, we'd all be just awful people. So we can't be surprised when something like this happens, but your book actually, I think tells a different story. How would you, how would you shape that differently from your perspective? Yeah. Well, I think the, the heart does matter. So, I mean, I think your pastor is, the pastor is correct in that way. I mean, I think there is work to do at a heart level. There's also work to do though at a cultural level. So the culture of our communities, I mean, the organizational culture of the faith communities we're a part of, and there's work to do with our hands, like practical things that we do together to build flourishing partnerships. So my model separates into those three categories, the inner life, community culture, and intentional practices. And I think we want to be engaging this at all three of those levels. And it's going to require a ton of intentionality and effort. But I, I think we can tell a different story. We can live, embrace and embody is the words I use sometimes. We can embrace and embody a different narrative around this stuff. Yeah. And we, I want to get to those three 
uh, and then you have 10 attributes yep. that you that you cluster in those three. But you start, I think, in an important place in your book. You start with with the theology mm-hmm. of um, maybe uh, you root it in the Genesis narrative, uh, specifically one through three, and then you tie it to the ministry, teaching, and embodiment of Jesus. And I think I think the way that you reframe this is really helpful and also ties into some things we've missed. Could you uh, maybe highlight a few of those important pieces for us as we get started? Yeah, I'll try. So first of all, I think it's important to realize that the whole of scripture has something to say about women and men in partnership, women in leadership. So oftentimes that conversation centers, begins and ends often with First Timothy 2 or a passage like that. That's an important passage. It needs to be carefully uh, you know, reflected on and worked through, but it's not the only text that speaks to this topic. And I think we do well to examine the whole teaching of scripture here. And, and Genesis is a great place to start. So Genesis 1 and 2 tell a story of women and men created without hierarchy. I think mutuality would be the word I'd use to describe uh, the first two chapters of Genesis. So men and women share the image of God. It's not like Adam has more of the image of God, Eve has less. It's just you are both created in God's image. It's a beautiful foundational truth. It's why we care about people, right? Because we're created in God's image. Second, uh, God delegates uh, stewardship of the created world to the first humans. And again, it's not like Adam is given more of a role there. Adam, you take the lead. (laughs) Eve, you, you support this. It's actually you together steward the creation, have dominion, right, together. Um, in Genesis 2, right, there's the passage often that gets interpreted as hierarchy that where there's uh, the word is helper that gets used in Genesis 2. The problem with that argument of reading hierarchy into that uh, helper language is that every other time, or most every other time that that word is used in the Old Testament, it's used for Yahweh. So Psalm 54 would be a good example where David says, I'm in trouble. Yahweh is my helper, right? Uh, there's a way in which that, that word implies not necessarily subservience. It implies that there's a rescuing that needs to happen. Adam alone was not good. Eve is the helper. Eve comes to the rescue of Adam. And then in Genesis 3, Matt, I like, the, um, like talking about the curse in the, in the context of Genesis 1 and 2, which is mutuality marks the creation story. Tragically, it also marks the fall, right? So Adam and Eve together fall into sin. I mean, Eve has borne the brunt of the blame for humanity's fall forever, but Eve, Adam was standing right there, right? They both fell into sin together and the curse affects them both as well. And so that's where the power dynamic comes in in Genesis 3, that, that your desire will be for your husband, he will rule over you. And we've been trying to get out from under that since that moment. Um, I think it's important to say that it's not like God's intention changes in Genesis 3. God's intention is clear, mutuality, in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 3, it's the consequence of our rebellion that there will be this power dynamic. And I like to say, I'm sure your listeners would agree, I don't want to be a part of perpetuating any system that has its origins in human sin. Right? So I'm going to do everything I can to overturn that system to return to God's creation intent. So that's my, that's my take on Genesis in what, five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. good, Rob. Um, I wonder how, um, I have two questions, I guess, you know, sometimes that passage, I guess you answered this, this first question I have. I just want to point out, I guess, then that 
um, sometimes that passage is read as God decreeing uh-huh. out of his, like, here's, here's a good thing that shall be so because I decree it, that he shall rule over you. But it's, it's a different, it's a different speech. It's a different speech act, right? That you're describing. It's not God decreeing from his heart that this shall be so because it's good. It's God proclaiming what's going to happen as a result of this rebellion. You know, Um, it's God sort of proclaiming tragedy upon humans and saying, Oh, like, look what you've done. Now here's what's going to happen. Um, You know? And so I, I think that's, I think that's a helpful way of reading it. Yeah, um, it's, I mean, yeah, just to ahead. say, Ben, real quick, I think it's uh, the difference between prescriptive. So prescriptive would be God saying, this is the plan now, yeah. but it's more, the difference with it is descriptive, right? Yes. This is the tragic reality. Yeah. And we see that reality come to pass and we're still dealing with that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you know, this is rooted in all of scripture and Matt mentioned, you know, that Jesus is part of this as well. How, how would you connect Jesus to Sort of this. Uh, how does Jesus embody this relational commitment to the the vision that you laid out in Genesis? This mutuality in yeah. the first two chapters of Genesis. Well, if, if folks like their Jesus revolutionary, this is the podcast for them. I <laughs> okay. think. Okay. Um, I, I think mean, we're Jesus. Secret to that, right? Yeah. So, so the reality <laughs> is, Jesus is incarnated into a world where the curse is in full effect. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, women are less than second class citizens. I mean, the the Old Testament tells some really tragic, brutal stories of women. Uh, one commentator calls them texts of terror. Um, so, and, and I think maybe the best way I can illustrate this would be the prayer that the rabbis would pray in the morning that went something like, thank you, God, that I'm not born a slave, I'm not born a Gentile, and thank you, God, that I'm not born a woman. That was literally the thing that the pastor or priest of the day would get up and pray. And I think for me, that illustrates the encoded misogyny or patriarchy in the system. And that's the world that Jesus comes into. And so the question then is like, what does Jesus do? How does he engage that system? And this is where I can say he subverts it. He, he turns it on its head. Uh, Walter Wink has written a book and he talks in there about how Jesus engages with women. He says that in every single encounter recorded with Jesus and women in the gospels, Jesus is doing something to violate the social customs. Yes. Yep. So the social that, that he's he's flipping something around. So I could tell lots of stories and examples, but maybe I'll share one that I like the most, which is John 20, where Jesus comes across Mary in the garden and says, uh, look, I've done it. I'm back from the dead, right? And it's this amazing moment where Jesus tells Mary that he's pulled it off. And the most important event of human history has happened. And it's so significant because in that day and age, the rabbis taught that women couldn't give testimony in a court of law. The testimony of a woman was not to be trusted, but it was okay for Jesus to tell Mary this. And in the total of time where Mary goes from the garden to the upper room, she's the only one on the planet that knows the most important message in human history. And she is, I mean, she's rightly being called the apostle to the apostles, right? So Jesus is a game changer for women. Um, And so it's little wonder that Paul uh, coming along later looks back at Jesus's life and especially the work on the cross and says, in Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, all are one in Christ Jesus. That's Galatians 3.28, mm-hmm. which has salvific implications that God doesn't show favoritism, but it also has these social implications that we are reconciled mm. in Christ in the work of the cross. Mm. So in that sense, one more thought, in that sense, it's like a reset 
for me, yeah. the Genesis paradigm. Yeah, yes. it's interesting that that prayer that that prayer that you mentioned is directly connected there to those repudiations that yeah. Paul names in Galatians. I'd never really yep. thought about that. Yep, that is fascinating. Yep, so good, Rob. Thank you. Uh, huh? Just personally, it's just so refreshing um, to hear you and for this book to be out. It's good. Um, you identify mm-hmm. ten attributes for flourishing mixed mm-hmm. gender partners. Um, and, and you give three domains, right? The inner life, the community culture, and the intentional practices. And, and really that's the outline for the rest of your book. And, and I want to get into those, but I wonder if maybe as an introduction, you could just tell us which one of those 10 attributes was most surprising to you, or did you learn in the midst of this research? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're not supposed to do this, Christy. Like when you enter into a qualitative research process, you're not supposed to try to guess what the results are going to be. You want to be a, <laughs> a objective researcher, but it was hard. It would be hard for me to imagine a model for partnership that doesn't include communication or theological alignment or talking about boundaries. So those things I would have guessed on the front end, the ones that were surprising to me were like learner's posture. I mean, in hindsight, you go, well, of course, but in the moment I thought, oh, wow, a lot of people are talking about empathy and walking in another person's shoes and asking good questions and listening. So learner's posture or another one was um, public affirmation and modeling, which is that when communities take a public stand, when they proclaim their value publicly, when there's representation, modeling, that people feel permission to have to enter into partnerships in their context, right? So that was another one that kind of caught my attention. So it was a joyful journey. I can just tell you to sift all of this data and try to mine and find the 10 attributes that emerged. Um, but those are a couple that that were surprises to me. That's good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can then jump in to just explore briefly, Rob, uh, one, maybe one attribute in each of these categories. Um, Part one is about the inner life, uh, which is comprised of the attributes of authentic learner posture, shared theological conviction of gender equality, and awareness of gender brokenness. Uh, that that phrase actually uh, piqued my interest when I heard it. Awareness of gender brokenness. What do you mean by that? Well, I started to hear stories in the research of people talking about struggles, internal struggles that they had that related to their experience as a gendered person. So being a man or a woman, and then their engagement with someone of the opposite gender. And so for example, you'd hear men talk about lust or pornography, or they'd talk about um, objectifying women. Women would talk about some of those same things, but also what it meant to be marginalized and recovering from that and objectification. Both men and women would tell me stories about overcoming bias and how they view the opposite gender. And so I sort of gathered all of that up and and put it in a bucket and called it gender brokenness. It's just ways that we are struggling internally that relate to our experience around gender. And the key, Matt, is uh, are you aware? The key is awareness. So are you aware of what's happening internally for you? And when you're aware, then you're more able to A, mitigate and move towards wholeness, but B, you're more able and more likely to have a healthy, safe, flourishing partnership with someone of the opposite gender. Yes. And I do want to get into this later a bit. I I, I think you have a, a healthy 
uh, corrective take on sort of uh, what's come to be known as the Billy Graham mm -hmm. rules about how men and women are to relate to each other. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering if you came upon the phenomenon I, I encounter a lot, which is, um, you know, there's, there's the kind of the normal human shame or normal human temptations that I think you don't have to be a Christian to carry. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that involves your body. It involves your sexual history. It involves your confidence or esteem, all this. But there um, increasingly for me and ministry has been, have been stories about uh, people dealing with maybe the baggage. I don't know if brokenness is the right word, but the baggage of how the church has attempted to help them in their brokenness. Right. So one of the most famous sort of um, epitomes of this would be the, the the guy who wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye, uh, kind of you know pulled the book off the market, recanted of everything he taught, and and now isn't now isn't a practicing Christian, and a lot of people in my generation, Rob, I'm not sure about yours, were were sort of uh, mentored sexually in that kind of way of thinking. Maybe we could call it um, like like Christian purity culture. Mm -hmm. um, what what did your research find out about that? And and what benefit does being aware of that, how does that translate into a more healthy, flourishing ministry partnership? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. And people want from the research, people want real talk, real talk is maybe the, the governing uh, phrase I'd use. They, they want to talk about stuff that matters. They want safe spaces to talk about that. I think there's some barriers to that. So internally people, it's hard to go there. It's hard to be honest. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to do that inner work. Um, we're too busy. Uh, we, there's other things we'd rather do. Ron Rollheiser has a great quote about like, we have good intentions, but we're just too busy. Um, so I think there's internal barriers, but then there's also maybe what I call external barriers. I, I think, what is the church doing? What are our faith communities doing to create safe space for real talk? Um, mm -hmm. And listeners may have a different experience of this, but my my, my concern, and if I was to poke a bit, I would say, what are we doing with our discipleship around sexuality, around gender brokenness? Um, I see lots of flyers in churches when I go visit for men's ministry, women's ministry. The men's ministry usually has like archery and bacon and maybe some mud wrestling, things like that. All of that could be fine. But I guess the question I would ask is, are we also making space in those gatherings for honest assessment of what's happening for ourselves, for repentance, for prayer ministry, for accountability, for support? Um, are we going deep with one another so that we are more able to effectively engage with the opposite gender? I mean, I think it's fine to work on our own discipleship, but I, I, it has, to me, it has like an end. There's a, there's a greater end than just me being whole. That's important, but it's, can I engage with others in a way that's healthy and safe and life-giving and that avoids so many of the stories that we see see in the news, right? So so I'd poke a little bit at kind of what are our structures for disciple making in our in our churches. Hi, I'm Deb from Ormond Beach, Florida. One of the best gifts that I received for my journey through a Gravity Leadership cohort was a new perspective on flourishing in life and in ministry. I didn't realize how much of my discipleship was formed by call-out culture. My whole orientation was toward calling out what was wrong or sinful in the world, in my own life, and in the church. 
But gravity helped me see that Christ was always calling people in toward life and flourishing. And my cohort came to feel kind of like a community garden. We got to practice calling each other in to a deeper awareness of God's life, of His goodness and His love, and how it was bearing fruit in our lives. So if you're looking for a safe space to grow in your life with God and to practice your gardening skills in the life of others, I hope you'll check out the Gravity Leadership Academy. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. You know, one of the things that we do at Gravity is we lead these leadership discipleship cohorts. And every single one I've led, we've led, except for one, has been mixed gender. Mm. Um, and Chrissy leads cohorts for us, and she leads uh, men and women in these discipleship processes. And it's much more than facilitating conversation. So mm-hmm. Christy's actually bearing some authority with men. And, and I've had to learn how to do that increasingly with women. And my experience is it's extremely redemptive. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Christy, what are your, what are your thoughts about, about what Rob's saying in terms of what we do at gravity and how you've experienced that? Yeah. Well, I just finished, uh, a cohort, you know, after a year and at the, and our very last one, it was interesting to, to hear the men, uh, talk about how they had not really sat under a woman, Mm -hmm. Um, and had not been discipled, that had not been part of their practice, and how that formed them um, in in the you know what we actually are teaching. But the practice of being under woman was was part of it, and um, and I think it's actually shaping for me too. Um, there have been a lot of environments that I've been in where I've had to prove or earn or you know like let me show you all my documentation that I'm qualified to do this. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and to be in an environment where that's accepted and welcomed and invited and, and then to see the transformation of people, um, is so beautiful and it really is a privilege. Yeah. Beautiful. I think, yeah, I think that's some of the gift, you know, of, of being able to work through these things. Um, you know, just how much of a gift for me as a man, like what have I lost out on? not being in a culture where it was normative for a woman to invest in me or, you know, uh, that kind of a thing, I think is, is, uh, yes, I think a beautiful result uh, of this. Yeah. Let me, um, let me just say real quick, Ben, I, yeah. I think the stories I told were examples around like the mixed, like the breakout gender breakouts, but I, man, I love the model the, that you're talking about. If, if churches could get there, that would be a great goal, I think, to shoot for. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably some steps that need to happen in most churches that I know of to get to yes. that point where you could have those conversations, but right. that would be a dream. Yeah. It'd be a great vision. Well, maybe, maybe that's a good segue into um, talking about maybe this next question, but um, part two uh, of, of the book is, is about community culture. Um, and so you talk about things like vision for freely shared power, differences for the sake of mission, the value of holistic friendships, and then corporate sensitivity to adverse gender dynamics. Um, And a lot of those issues seem to me to hinge on our ability to see how power works um, and ways that power kind of flows and moves uh, between people and within organizations. Um, I wonder if you could tell us, um, just from your experience and research, like what are some ways that we do need to, what are some ways we need to learn how to see how power works in order to foster 
these uh, mutual relationships between men and women? Well, I love when people ask me about power. Um, I think, and I'll just be blunt about it. We need to talk more about power than we do. Mm-hmm. Every every faith community, I think, yeah. could use more discussion about power. Um, yes. I think so. A couple things. One is, I think we um, in in Christian organizations sometimes we think that there's no power dynamic, no power dynamics in this group. We're fine. Right. The truth is, power dynamics are operating in every organization I've ever come across, Christian or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Second, I think sometimes we think wrongly that if we talk about power, it's going to make it worse or it's going to unleash the the beast or whatever. The truth is, I think sometimes power thrives in silence. And so, yeah. so talking about it for the most, I think there's probably exceptions to this, but talking about it is going to be useful for communities. So two thoughts on how to do that. One is I'll ask the question uh, for faith communities out there, what's your philosophy or your theology of power? Do you have one? And if not, I think you should talk about it until you 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 make one, you find one. Great so, question. Yeah. So at one point, I was um, asking a friend to be on our leadership team, uh, and she, on paper, it looked great. She had the right skills, calling, giftings, relational connections, all of that. But as we got into the process, she she was reticent to join the team. And what came out was that she had spent her whole life on the outskirts of power. She'd been marginalized because of her socioeconomic status and on and on, gender, ethnicity. And so the thought of joining the team that held power was really challenging for her. She'd only viewed power in a way that it oppresses people. Mm-hmm. And so what she did, to her credit, was she spent months looking at the Gospels only through the lens of power. How does Jesus steward power? And it, it flipped. I didn't answer all of her questions, but it gave her enough of a view that power can be used in a way that helps people. That's a blessing to others that redeems things that she joined our team, had a fruitful ministry and went on. So I would use her example to say, I think we need to talk more about power and we need to theologize about power and look at the text, the scriptures in that way. Second thing I'll talk about is audits. So power audits. I talk about this in the book, but can we make space to ask the question, who has power in our community? Why did those people have power? Is how power is distributed in our community the way we want it to be? And if not, what can we do to redistribute power? Those are really generative conversations, life-giving conversations. Mm. At one point, I led my team into a chat like that, and we went around the room and we said, who has power? And what was immediately clear was that I had by far the most power on the team. I'm tall, I'm white, I'm male. I had the title, I had the leadership experience. I mean, on and on and on. And there are other people on my team who had far less power. They took up way less space in our community. And so the question then for our team was, okay, in light of how power is distributed, do we want to rethink things? And what we landed on was, yes, Rob needs to take up less space, a good thing for everyone. And others on the team need to take up more space. And so one way to do that was for me to be more proactive with my agendas and to delegate Mm -hmm. to others, right? And so it required Mm -hmm. me to be more on my game but then I could get to the point where I could say, hey, would you lead this session? How can I help you get ready to lead that? And it was beautiful mm-hmm. for the people on the team. But to be honest, it was wonderful for me too. It just yeah. meant less that I had to carry. It meant that I got to learn from others. I mean, it was life-giving all the way around. So yeah. those two things, I think theologizing about power, talking about that, and second, doing, a, doing a, an honest audit yeah. of how power works in a community. Yeah, I appreciate that, Rob. I, and I think your attitude towards it, um, 
is helpful to hear about because I, I do think one of the fears that I, as I listen to leaders, I think one of the fears of, about doing a power audit is that there is, there is something about like having a lot of power that I think there's like this latent shame, like I shouldn't do this or I did something wrong or this is my fault or, you know what I mean? And just to have it named feels really threatening, I think, to yeah. a lot of leaders, right? Um, yep. And so I, your example, I think, is really helpful to just know that you are, you were the person taking up all the space in the room and the ways that you had to work actually to give away your power um, maybe in ways that, you know, learning new skills like delegation and, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that you're not coming up with the meeting agenda three minutes before the meeting and you right. know, all of those kinds of things that are really subtle, but, but interestingly like ways of actually, uh, holding on to power, you know, not, not because you want to, but just, it's sort of like, just by default, yep. you end up holding on to power unless we can talk about it. Like, like you're talking yep. about. I mean, Ben, one through line for me with all the attributes is um, that the conversations about this stuff, whether we're talking about gender brokenness or power, those conversations are going to be awkward until they're not, right? (laughs) So I think think people need to push through the awkwardness and get to the point where those conversations are normalized. I mean, on Mm -hmm. our team at one point, I realized it's normal for us to talk about power. Mm -hmm. It's not awkward anymore, but the only way to get there is to push through yeah. and, and have the conversations. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Can I give an awkward story? Please. Yeah. So um, I recently let a, finished up a cohort where um, I had a couple women and about five men, and they were all in professional vocational ministry positions. And I debriefed with everybody after the cohort just to check in with them, how to go, um, give me feedback, <clears throat> what are next steps with you, et cetera. Well, one of the women who was a pastor, a senior pastor at a church, has uh, for 10 years, Rob, listen to this, 10 years, she's been a senior leader in a church, and her, her leader, whether uh, whether it was a superintendent or a district manager, district regional manager, or a bishop, et cetera, they've all been women. So she's been in sort of women hierarchies for over a decade. And that's been her primary leadership spaces. So she comes to me and she says, on our phone call, she goes, you know, for three months, this, this cohort was weirdly triggering for me. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't put my finger on why. And she said, and then it dawned on me, like in the middle of our cohort, this is the first time I've been in a space where a woman wasn't at the center of it in over 10 years. Wow. And she said, the way that you shape the space as a man was really hard for me at the beginning. Um, now I, Rob, I've, I've cared about this for 25 years. I feel like I've done tons of work. I've tried to be hyper aware. I, we've, we've had a lot of women come through our thing. We, we, I mean, Ben and I have pastored a church for seven years now. Women preach like, I, you know, I, in my weaker moments, mm-hmm. I like to pat myself on the back that like, mm-hmm. we're actually making a dent here. Yeah. And, and my friend Kara was just like, you know what? You have no, this was the subtext. You don't really, you don't really know the first thing about how your gender takes up space in a group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am so grateful she said that to me. Yeah, so grateful. And I think, I think if we, if we have, if we don't have women in our life mm-hmm. who can say that to us, not all of us have women leaders who've been in women shaped spaces for a decade, but women who can actually tell us uncomfortable, awkward truths and not risk losing their job. Mm-hmm. It's a gift, right? Yep, 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 for sure. 
Yep, learning opportunity, right? That, Matt, the, the book that I that's been formational for me on this topic that we're talking about is a book called Making Room for Leadership by Mary Kate Morse. Hmm. So Making Room for Leadership by Mary Kate Morse. And her genius is she she uses space, a metaphor for power. And what hmm. she does is she says, how much space you take up is an amalgamation of a lot of factors. So gender, race, race, ethnicity, I mean, all through the list. Age, and, uh, yeah, wealth. Yeah. Totally, all of that. And it gives you a chance to quantify and language to quantify how much power someone takes up. And so then you can have the conversations, conversations about redistribution and such. But Mary-Kate Morse, Making Room for Leadership. That's really good. I think I think a lot of time too, I've as a younger pastor, I was on a co-pastoring team of, of men. And um, I thought the goal was like a flat... Mm. Uh, a flat, no hierarchy. Everybody has the same power. But what I learned through some really un- also uncomfortable, awkward situations, Rob, were people telling me, if you don't own the authority you have as a pastor, it ends, mm-hmm. it ends up doing really weird work around here. Mm-hmm. Um, because you do have some authority. You do have some power. And if you pretend like you don't, it doesn't go away. Yeah. Yeah. And- Right? right. Have you have you experienced that before too? Like yeah. the, the ways that power kind of works sideways if we don't actually own what, what we have? Yeah. I think I think you do have to own that. And I think that's a good word. I also think we probably have more room to give away power than we think we do. So I, I mean, my I've said this half jokingly in the past, but my goal every year is to give away as much power as I can without losing my job. Right. Well, I mean, what I mean by that is. I'm going to execute the job that I've been assigned to do with by university. I want to be forthright about that. I want to lead with integrity and offense, all that. And I want to give away as much power as I can uh, within the parameters of my job description. So I think there's a bit of a sweet spot there, Matt, where you're exercising yeah. appropriate authority and yeah. you're yeah. Em- empowering as freely as you can. So I think that actually, that's actually giving me better language for what I was trying to say, Rob. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by is you can't give away power unless you own that you have it. Uh, sure. Yeah. If you pretend like everybody has the same power, yep. then you're you're sort you're basically just like, well, why don't you do something then? Yep. Here's here's room. Here's freedom. Do whatever you want. Yep. Rather than rather than what I think you're naming is, this is this is God's plan. This is Jesus's plan. I mean, when he's when he's about ready to send to the Father, and there's people doubting him and worshiping him, he's like, all right, you who doubt, you who worship, you all get as much power as you can possibly handle. Mm-hmm. And w- and what we say around here is that that's God's plan to mm-hmm. give us as much power as we can possibly handle. Because mm-hmm. that's actually what new creation is, mm-hmm. us, us, us stepping into greater authority and, and, and greater agency mm-hmm. in the cosmos. That's, that's what we're going to do. And so um, I, I think we're saying the same thing, Rob. Uh-huh. I, and I, I've, I have misstepped, especially with women, when I think that all they need is opportunity. Mm-hmm. All, all they need is what I need. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, they, they need something different because of all these cultural Yep. And all these barriers and all this baggage and all this brokenness and all these experiences in the church. And so if I don't own the fact I have work to do here in order to come underneath this sister and help her step into the authority of the kingdom, if I just sort of get out of the way, then then I, I've made some missteps there. I guess that's maybe more of what I was trying to say. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Amen. Well... <laughs> Man, I could talk about this power stuff all day because I think <laughs> it's too. so it's so important, dude. But let's let's yeah. move on to part three. Okay, which are we've talked about the internal self, we've talked about the community culture. Uh, part three deals with these practices. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned one earlier, abundant communication, uh, but others contextualize boundaries, public affirmation and modeling. Um, let's talk about boundaries, right? Because the most yep. famous example of boundary setting in white evangelicalism is the Billy Graham rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I could set this up with a long preamble, but let me just ask, what does your research say about that? <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, people, if, if you get a copy of my book, read the foreword because Ruth Haley Barton tells a story about her experience with the Billy Graham rule that I think is profound. It needs to be heard. Um, so a couple things about the Billy Graham rule. Number one, uh, this is from the 1940s, I think, the late 40s. Billy Graham and his leadership team got together and they said, what rules do we want to uh, define our ministry together? And they came up with several, actually. So the initial draft of the Billy Graham rule was was really rules. So there was one about financial propriety, integrity. There was one about not inflating numbers, which I think would be a good rule to adopt again. Uh, but then there was this other rule that's become sometimes I jokingly call it the 11th commandment, which is that Billy Graham was never going to be alone with a woman that wasn't his wife. And the idea was if you could systematically keep Billy Graham from being in a room with someone, then he's not going to fall into sin himself. And there's not going to be this like sort of outside what's going on there um, sense of that. So, so, and it's become enshrined over the years. Uh, My research showed a couple of things about the Billy Graham rule. Number one, it hasn't fully solved the problem that it's intended to solve. And the tragic stories we read about, we've been talking about on the podcast here, tell that story, right? That the Billy Graham rule hasn't fully put out the fire, so to speak. It hasn't solved the problem. And so might be time to try something different. The second thing that came out in the research about the Billy Graham rule was that it, was that it has had these unintended negative consequences that affect both women and men, but I think primarily marginalized women. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Number one, There's the story I was talking with a woman. She was telling me about a male she's just started supervising. And she looks at me through the camera and says, look, if I can't be alone in a space with him, I just can't do my job, right? I mean, just at at that basic level, she can't execute the job description she's been given if she can't be in the same physical space as this guy she's working with, right? That's one negative consequence. Another one would be that it perpetuates the narrative that women and men can't control each other, that something crazy is going to happen if you drive two blocks to the coffee shop in a car together. Uh, to me, the, the unhelpful part of that is it shortchanges what we talked about earlier about discipleship. The reality is a rule is not going to save us. What's going to save us is that hard, deep discipleship work, right? And so that's the work we need to be doing. And so the Billy Graham rule sort of perpetuates that narrative that we can't contain ourselves. Then the third uh, negative consequence or unintended consequence that emerged was that women are denied access and agency. So I I did an interview with someone and she told me a story about driving to a conference with a guy who has the same job she has, and he's an ardent Billy Graham rule follower. And so they couldn't drive together. And what she said to me was, number one, it made her feel like a threat to him. Like that wasn't a very fulfilling experience. But then number two, what she said is, when we drive home from the conference is when we decide what we're going to do with the conference content, what we're going to, how we're going to apply what we heard. And she said, I wasn't allowed to be in the car for that conversation, right? I, it literally cut short her agency. And so the question then in the research was, if not the Billy Graham rule, then what? And what people came up with was this idea of contextualized boundaries. So we asked the question, who are you? And that gets to all of the inner life stuff we've talked about. Who are you? Where are you at on your journey? 
what's the community culture in which you're situated and what makes sense for each individual partner. And you have that conversation. Again, it will be awkward. You push through that. You have that conversation. Uh, what I like to do with my team is I give them scripted questions. Why don't you just ask each other these questions, right? And that will help you get to that conversation. And then you have decisions about boundaries that you've made in your partnership, and then you share those and move forward with accountability. So that's the that's what I would recommend. Rather than the supreme restrictive boundary of the Billy Graham rule, we ask the question: What makes sense for us? Yeah. So I hear what you I hear you saying. Um, like use wisdom uh-huh. and, yeah. and talk and talk about it. <laughs> That's a much shorter way to summarize what I just said, Matt. For that. I mean, oh, very helpful. So like, you yeah. know, uh, but, but Rob, I say it like that. I say it sort of cheat in a cheeky way to say like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We, this is a new. Yeah. Like the thing you're, the thing you're saying isn't radical. It's not dangerous. It's actually what scripture tells us to do. Yeah. To, to, to walk in relationships in love with wisdom, mm-hmm. um, rather than like you said, making this one size fits all thing. That um, and you named so many of the maybe weaknesses or insufficiencies of this rule. The one I want to ping off of just uh-huh. real quick, sure, is what I've heard the most is the the last two things you said that the Billy Graham rule keep keeps me from the room where it happens. Mm-hmm. It, I, any kind of authority or power I have is distributed, derivative. Like go do this. We what we decided, mm-hmm. and two, it fundamentally organizes our bodies to relate to each other. In we have to stay away from something, yeah. and you become meaning the woman becomes the threat mm-hmm. to the thing that could ruin me. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's yeah. that's that's not uh, that's bad. That's that's not Genesis one through three. That's not Jesus. That's <laughs> right. You won't get that anywhere. In right. the kind of stuff that you begin your book in the theology, right? Right, right. Yeah, and yet, yeah, and, and the problem, of course, is we've been living with that, what you just described, Matt, for seventy years. I mean, it's seventy years of Billy Graham rule uh, attempts, anyway, at practice in the church, and so it's going to require some new learning. It's an adaptive challenge, right? To say, how can we reimagine how we operate with regard to boundaries? I think contextualized boundaries is the way to go, but it's going to take work and intentionality, some courage too. Hmm. Mm. Well, Ben, Christy, any final questions or thoughts for Rob before we jump into the commons part of this conversation? Yeah, Rob, I'm curious because all that I've heard is so good and so needed and not practiced in every place. So what do you say to the listener who um, says, yes, I agree. And I want that. And I'm not in that type of environment. Yeah. Um, great question, Christy. I think a couple of things. So one would be find allies that think like you do. I think there's strength in numbers. Um, and so you want to find people that have a similar bent that say, we can do this differently. Let's reimagine how we operate as women and men. Let's, so that's one thing. The second thing I like to say is start small. You know, I think um, often there's this impulse. I have it too. Let's change the whole church tomorrow. You know, like, I mean, I'd love to do it. If I had a magic wand, we're done. We're on our way. Uh, But I I can't, right? So, but what can I do? What's the next faithful step for me, given in the context where God's put me? And I think you're looking for open doors, like a sweet spot where you can affect change and start to get a ball, the ball rolling that hopefully becomes a snowball with momentum, right? Moving down the hill. So, 
those would be two encouragements. Find, find, find peers, find allies. And then second, start small. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Chrissy, I just want to name my, I know this is hard for women to do. Yeah. I mean, how many, how many churches that are run by women where women feel like they have an ally and advocate to do what you just said, Christy and Rob? Yeah. Maybe, maybe 2%, 1% yeah. of white evangelical churches. And the vast majority are guys who yep. hold the keys. And, you know, a woman gets hired as a youth minister, maybe a music minister, kids director, maybe, maybe like an associate pastor. Mm-hmm. And then you have to navigate these complex realities of your boss, maybe not having even that half of these 10 attributes. Yeah. And you have to lead from below mm-hmm. or manage from below. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I just want to acknowledge that is yep. awful. Thank you. Thank yep. you for saying that. I appreciate that. And I think it's important. I mean, we just don't notice it. Right. People are unaware. I was recently in a meeting with three men who were basically bosses, right? And and they were asking me some questions that were hard to answer. And I realized even at the beginning of the meeting, I just said, Hey, can I just acknowledge the fact that I'm the only woman in this room and that you all three are my bosses? And this is difficult for me. And and right away, uh, my big boss was like, Oh yeah. I didn't even think about it. Right. I don't think that that was his heart. It wasn't like he was trying to, to put me in this awkward situation, but, um, he just didn't even notice. Right. And it just takes time and practice. And we have to be intentional to even be aware of the power dynamics that are at play. Yep. Man. I'm glad you said that, Christy. Maybe one quick thought to Matt. I think, um, there's a chapter in my book. I'm borrowing from research that a dear friend, colleague has put together where she's identified 27 examples of what you just said, Christy, power dynamics that marginalize women in the workplace. And I think a great place to start would be just, can we read this article together, this chapter together? And like, because I think it does start with awareness. So I appreciate you naming that. Yeah. Rob, uh, thanks for being with us today during this public part of our podcast. Um, As we close this public part, you, I, I mentioned that you, you offer um, training yeah. for organizations on uh, flourishing ministry partnerships. Where can people go to learn more about that? Yeah, great. Thanks for that. Um, so they can catch me online. So I have a, let me just set the bar for people, an ever in process website. Like, <laughs> okay, lower your bar on that. Mm-hmm. It's me working on it in my free time, uh, but it's drrobdixon.com. So D-R-R-O-B-D-I-X-O-N. Dot com And there's a way to, to reach me off of that. I love to do uh, consulting, coaching, training. Um, I tell my staff, sometimes my university staff, that if you want me to read your email, make sure gender is in the title somewhere. Um, and then they started to take advantage of that. It would be like a the subject line would say like, help me with this question about First Timothy 2. And then the body of the email would be like an expense question. So we had to do away with that. But these are the emails I want to be reading. These are the conversations I want to be a part of. So feel free to reach out. All right. Thank you. (laughs) That's awesome. The book again is titled Together in Ministry, Women and Men in Flourishing Partnerships. Rob, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, Thanks for having me.
Well, you just listened to the sultry tones of Rob Dixon, Dr. Rob Dixon. Mm-hmm. And it was That's fantastic. Right. It was. Yeah, it was great. Um, we, we, uh, we enjoyed about another 20 minutes in our commons live discussion where uh, something incredible happened. Uh, one of our common our commoners, <laughs> one of our commoners, <laughs> commoners. That, I don't know. Commoners. Interesting. Um, um, citizens of the common, common. Yeah. One of our commembers. Friends. What are our friends? Yeah, one of our, our friends, friends just just remarked about uh, the way Christy, Ben, and I interact on the podcast, and named like a kairos he had about it, and then we spent like fifteen minutes debriefing. Using some of Rob's attributes and the arenas or domains in which those attributes work and teased out, I think, a lot of the micro particular kinds of conversations that need to happen if we're going to see Rob's vision for mutual flourishing and ministry happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was fascinating. It was almost like we got Rob as like a... Uh, an unpaid he consultant. Consulted. Yeah. yeah, he consulted for us for Gravity Leadership. Thank you, Rob. He's pretty, he's pretty, if you're thinking about hiring him as a consultant, he did so say go he likes to, to do that work. So go to drrobdixon.biz and Not, find... No, com. Oh, he should have .biz because this is his business. <laughs> he's, he's a, he actually, uh, I think, would be a very good consultant So if you do want to hire him. But yeah, it was, it was fascinating, yeah. I think, because we were able to explore like all the different... You know, I was reminded at, uh, at the end there where we talked about the insufficiency of the Billy Graham rule to like actually do the work of, you know, bringing flourishing and mutuality. Um, and I was just reminded about like it, there's insufficiency in every rule. There's insufficiency mm. in every sort of cut and dried, um, cookie cutter, prepackaged way that we try to do something about this, right? And so, you know, in our, you know, the, the comment had to do with like... Uh, how much Matt and I talk on this podcast versus how much Christy talks, right? Um, and we, we just got to tease out like what all the complicated factors are that go into that, you know, mm-hmm. in, in terms of um, it's not just about gender, but, um, but gender is a big part of it. Um, and, and just the insufficiency of just saying, oh, well, if Christy just talks more, that solves it. You know what I mean? Like, cause well, I don't know. Is that good for Christy or is that, does yeah. Christy want to talk more? You know, like all of these factors, I think that were, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just really fascinating to, to talk yeah. through. But you know, it's like really made that conversation good is you two are so humble and open and teachable. And that, that takes intentionality on your part to be taught to hmm. learn from Rob as he like consulted us <laughs> and kind of helped us work through that and untangled some stuff. Um, and so thank you for that because hmm. it's really a gift. Um, hmm. And I think it was a gift to the people in the comments who, who watched it happen. Yeah. yeah. But I'll just say from my part that came through like decades of failure, thinking that I could figure out who I needed to be without learning and input and trying to be a Christian without repentance is really hard. Yeah, trying to get it all right. <laughs> sort of like go, go away in your own mind and figure out how to empower women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's something I mean, a little bit. Yeah, I remember when I woke that, right? up to like how ridiculous that is. And I was like, yeah. okay, so if I can be wrong, then really there's nothing I can't learn. Right. And if I can be wrong, I'm actually the, it's actually in, 
and owning that I'm wrong, I become the kind of person who other people want to be around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that shift in posture, I think, too, is just, it's one of the fun, like, I think it's one of the fundamental ways that we learn to become a person who can actually be empowering. Because, mm. again, if we think that yeah, as men, you know, for example, for me to empower women, it just means that I, like, that I can figure this all out sort of on my own. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm just perpetuating the problem. That's, that's part of the issue with patriarchy, right? Is just that, mm. well, I need to be in charge and I need to be, I need to know everything and I need to have a perfect plan and I can never be wrong and it has to go right. And so I think just in the willingness to be wrong and to mm-hmm. make mistakes uh, and just own them quickly and apologize and make restitution. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a, that's a good beginning, mm-hmm. you know, for men you want to learn how to empower women so or for people to empower people <laughs> right? too, i mean yeah yeah if you're a pastor or just a human uh that might yeah. be a good a good place to start as well we commend so. all humans <laughs> learn to be wrong <laughs> how many uh, listeners are non-human I, I don't well <laughs> well my dog loves this. that's not yeah. for me to <laughs> that's not for me to determine you can you can uh, sign your own guinness is that what it is uh, Order. I've always Guinness. pronounced it genus. Genus. Guinness is the ah. beer. Right. <laughs> In my mind. Oh, that's something okay. different. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> you well, can assign your own Guinness if you'd like. I guess. So I don't know what that would be. Guinness. That reminds me. Did you guys hear about the that scientists invented a new kind of air freshener? No. No. Yeah. It's mind controlled. Mind controlled air freshener. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It makes sense if you think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Matt. Did you you see that one coming, Christy? I was like, what is what is going on? Oh, oh friends. People are going to stop listening to the Speaking podcast right at the end for this oh, little... I'm sure that or, already happens. I'm sure they just forward right through Or they're going to skip ahead to it. Skip ahead or to I, it, right. There are, there are severals mm-hmm. of people listening mm-hmm. who try these jokes out yeah. on their 14-year-old daughter, <laughs> you know, yeah. dads that are like, Dad jokes. maybe when, maybe on their first date. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they t- and man. they tell the they tell the date mm-hmm. this joke and they give him a little punch in the arm yeah. with that look that yeah. knowing look. <laughs> yep, that's how dozens. I like to think there about it. There are dozens it. of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time, everybody. Peace, everybody. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. Our show is produced by Ben Sturkey and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sturkey edits and mixes the podcast. You can check out his work at aaronsturkey.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at 
www.thinkandgrowthpodcast.com. Catch you next time. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.